If you're focusing on helping build your business, pick three content pillars that you want to talk about and stick to those three. People need to know what to expect from you rather than one day you're posting about your dog. The next day you're talking about a reporting dashboard. And then the next day you're talking about events. They're not going to understand what you're offering. So be very, very clear about that. What up, my marketing people? Welcome to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show, we have Tass Bobert. She is a B2B marketer at heart and now a landing page specialist. She's also really got a lot of momentum on LinkedIn with her content creating there. So we get into all things landing pages, B2B marketing, and building a personal brand on LinkedIn. I think you're gonna like this one, especially if you're trying to do something yourself on LinkedIn or you work in B2B marketing. But before we get into it, I do wanna highlight something in the show notes page or the comment section. Right now, we have our social system 1.0. It's totally free. You go click it and you'll get the exact system that we use to create content for clients. Go check that out, totally free. Well, I will ask for your email, but that's it. Not gonna sell you anything. Go there, grab that system, it'll help you out. Now, with that, let's sit back, relax, get into this episode. Hey, what up, Tess? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I cannot complain. Happy to have you on the show. I know I had your arch nemesis, Kevin, on a couple episodes, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it'll be good. Good to follow it up, and I'm excited to see the, all the comments that he leaves on this episode when we post it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. He's an easy act to follow, though, so I'm not worried. Hey, there we go. Cool. So give people a little context on, I guess, what you do, your situation. I know you were in-house for a long time, but now you have your own consultancy, I guess we'll, we'll call it. What has the journey been to date and what do you offer now from a service standpoint? Yeah. So for the last 15 years, I've worked in B2B marketing accidentally or not. So I've been in-house for 99% of my career and over the last six months have been Uh, running my consultancy. At first, it started as a fractional digital marketing um, lead, but then companies were like, well, what do I hire you for? What's the burning problem? And I got to speak to so many people who are doing stuff on their own right now, including Anthony Pieri. You should totally have him on the show, by the way, if you haven't already. But Anthony has yelled at me multiple times about writing more about marketing. And then he's like, you need a niche down. And so I did. And I married kind of my website experience with the 400 websites that I've managed and touched in my career with the digital side, because I've managed the digital departments for a few B2B companies. And this was a way to showcase both. But essentially, I wanted to create a product. And it sounds like landing pages sound so rudimentary, because it's like, oh, I can find a landing page specialist anywhere. And I'm like, that's not the point. The point is treating the landing page like a sandbox to inform your entire website strategy. So how can you send, you know, focused amount of traffic to a page, see what resonates, and then inform your homepage, your product pages, your demo pages, your pricing pages. So there's a larger value that comes with that from someone who's worked in the space. And actually, since niching down, it's been quite incredible. I've been able to help a lot of companies and doubling down. So if you're on your own, definitely niche down. I love it. Yeah, it's so true, right? The landing page. I think people either just go, one, they either put it as like a subtask and it just kind of gets done when it gets done by a web dev team. Two, they hire a designer not thinking about the copy and really shifting that process to think about it like on a first date, if you showed up to the date 
You got to show, okay, I got to put enough out there, enough information. Does this person want to come for a second date? Maybe I talk about some of my interests, maybe what I'm into, what I'm not, what I can offer, all these different things, right? I want to be buttoned up, take a shower that day. I don't know. All of those things. And it's like a lot of those can be mirrored in, in like a business website. It's the first interaction for a lot of times for a lot of people after clicking an ad. And it's like, there's such a disconnect I find from ads to the lander to then the website experiences, maybe shit. So talk to me about how you go in now and the landing page can act as really this, you know, vessel to take the customer to different parts of the site. But talk to me about marrying that whole experience from that first brand touch point with an ad and clicking that all the way through, you know, to hitting a contact us and, and booking and become a lead. How do you marry, you know, that experience for the consumer? So I have essentially six frameworks that I came up with, but the most important one is called like the primary manifesto or your primary offer. And in essence, it's a landing page that will tell the user why you built the thing for who, so that, what are the outcomes, talk about the features, like maybe top three or four features that help a specific use case, why people should trust you. And in essence, people will say, hey, Tess, but that sounds like what the homepage should do. Yeah, it does sound like what the homepage should do. But the whole point is to send now traffic that you control via an ads platform. You have your segmentation. You can send your ICP there. Once your ICP is there, now you can see how they're interacting with the content. And now you can take this data-driven approach to updating the homepage. Because what happens on the main website is that it is a quilt experience of all the stakeholders' opinions, right? The homepage is HR wants our awards on there. Product wants us to feature dump. The CEO wants his picture on there. And so it just becomes the stakeholder mesh versus making it conducive for the user. You want to change one thing, you got to get 15 approvals. So running it through a landing page exercise, coming to them and saying, hey, we need to change the homepage. And they say, why? Or no, we should do this. And you're like, well, we tested this and this is what we see. And these are the features that resonate the most, the pain points that do, the testimonials that do. And now you can slowly inform the homepage based on data. And then you don't look like someone who's just adding to the opinion pile. You actually have something to back it up. So that's kind of the methodology that I came up with in order to do that. And then you can reverse engineer that to the ads where you are essentially promising, right? You've promised them something in the ad. Now you're delivering that on the landing page. And I think that's the disconnect most people find. It's like Old Navy's advertising pants and then they dump you on their homepage. Like that's a problem, right? 44% of B2B ad clicks go to the homepage. That is the absolute wrong place for it to go. Yeah, it's a misalignment of resources too, putting all this money into the spend and distribution, but then not into actually where that traffic goes. It's so interesting. And I think you hit on something really important there, which is, especially with the website homepage, that yeah, a homepage should you know follow the structure of problem customer faces, stakes if they don't address it, stakes if they do, how your product solves you know said mm -hmm. problem. Sure, pick any framework, write it. But that sounds easy to do. But the minute there's a million stakeholders involved and a CEO's ego and HR, it becomes, for lack of a better term, a clusterfuck. And the homepage turns into, yeah. look how great we are, look how great we are, look how great we are, feature mm -hmm. one, two, three. And that doesn't serve any consumer. So a landing page lets you, and landing pages let you test that with you know copywriting frameworks with different problems etc and then bring that data back to be like yeah the consumers don't care about our awards and here's the data that shows it exactly because like you said it, otherwise it's just this opinion pile and it's chefs in the kitchen and the amount of wasted time and resource and energy going in when, 
when people start arguing opinions on design, it's like, oh, this is going nowhere. Uh, <laughs> so that being said, do you have metrics that you lean into outside of, you know, just lead generation to test the viability of pages? Yeah. So I, there are vanity metrics, right? Which they get a bad rap. But I do this reporting that I call platform to pipeline. And so from the platform, that's like on stage, right? It's the impressions, clicks, your conversion rates, that kind of stuff. And those little things tell you what to troubleshoot first. So for example, if you get a ton of impressions, but not a lot of clicks, you know that there is some adjustment in the ad copy that needs to happen, right? You're not going to run to your sales team and be like, hey, there's a problem here. We're not getting clicks. They're going to be like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with that? So it's understanding where to troubleshoot the funnel when you're looking at the reporting full-fledged. So one of the things I did with my agency partners too is expose what was happening behind the curtain because there could be an ad that's getting a lower click, lower conversion rate, but... They are driving more meetings, more quality pipeline. And so that means you should double down, right? So it's making sure that you're not spending time and wasting energy on making bad decisions based on one piece of data and looking at it as a whole. So I always help my clients do the platform to pipeline reporting, which is front to the back. Is it working? Is it not working? Because if you just look at platform data, you would have killed that program. But that program is actually driving quality pipeline instead of revamping that program and seeing how can we up the conversion rate so we can get more quality pipeline because this program is actually working behind the scenes. So I look at everything from what's on stage with the in-platform metrics and then the pipeline metrics, which is now whatever the company looks at, right? Like meetings, ICP percentage, you know, net new, if that's what they want to look at, opportunities and uh, pipeline and hopefully closed one revenue you as well. Yeah. And then looking at churn, even adding that on to be like, yeah. are we selling, like, are we marketing what we're selling? Does our product actually do what we're saying? Because or what we say, yeah. I'm with you though on, I think people hate on vanity metrics. And to me, I'm like, they're all signals. Yeah. The idea that someone's going to make a linear purchase on six or seven figure software license is a hilarious concept. Like the, um, and I'd even say having an ICP or having like, Oh, our, our persona, it's like, well, on the flip side, the brand side you've been in, there's 13 personas usually at the decision-making table. So I've now moved to thinking more about what's the situation in which my, like, maybe not the buyer persona per se, but what are the situations in which my brand or the brand will be spoken about or evaluated? Okay, it's going to be in an internal conference room. Someone has to be armed to pitch our product against a competitor. And putting ourselves mentally in that room is going to help way more than being like, John has two kids and has a dog and oh, makes yeah. 200K a year, <laughs> right? So it's that next evolution. And I love that platform to pipeline, thinking about really that whole thing. So yeah, very, very cool in that regard. Yeah, and I think the persona thing is flawed, right? I mean, it can help inform some of the audience targeting and stuff, but I don't think I've ever been like, okay, now what is Sarah thinking about? But I think the biggest thing is, you are equipping your champion, whoever that is, with the information in order for them to make the business case. When I was internal, I had to do so many business cases to get any tool, small or large. And the partners that helped me formulate that business case, and it could be like a five slide deck, like five page deck, that was the gold, why I'm identifying a problem that I need to solve, why this tool does it, giving them the options for here are some manual ways I could do it, but this tool can also help us. And so evaluating against like a bootstrapped way to do it, another competitor and this, this is how, you know, this is how much resources it would take. This is how much money and budget. And this is how quickly we can move with each option. The partners that 
help me do that are the ones who won. And so now I think that that should be a part of the process where you not only sell to the champion, but you're going to help them make that business case because they're not always the ones signing check. You have like a boss that needs to sign off on the decision. Now you have the CFO involved in every financial decision marketing's making. So how do you help them make that case to the uppers? Yeah. And it's the same thing if someone's listening to this and they're in direct to consumer. It's the exact same thing. You need to equip the husband to sell the reason he needs a new TV to his partner. Like it's the exact same concept. We can stretch it across. It's so true. How can you equip the internal champion, that person who does believe with enough to go and actually, because they're the ones ultimately selling for you when it comes down to it, which is is interesting. So making sure that they have the appropriate, you know, uh, resources and information to do so. Very important. Now, all this is great. And you've moved now to having this consultancy. But one of the things that remiss if we didn't bring up is you are very active on LinkedIn, building a, you know, I hate the word personal brand, just being yourself on social media, I guess, how impactful has that been? And then two, how much time are you putting into creating content and being active on LinkedIn? Yeah, so in terms of impact, it's been high, I would say that about 70% of my business comes from me posting on LinkedIn and about 30% are in referrals, either from existing clients, previous companies I've worked at, uh, other peers who see my content and then they refer me even though they've never worked with me. So that's been awesome. So I can't deny the impact. And when I first started on LinkedIn, that was not my goal at all. It was a creative exercise. I was working in-house at a company and I just wanted to write. And I thought a public setting would be great to get some feedback on writing because that's what I went to school for. And it was great. And I got a lot of feedback and it just became this like side hobby for me that eventually gave me options when I went out on my own to, you know, create a business. I that was never, ever on my roadmap ever, but I'm glad that it happened. And then in terms of how much time it takes a lot of time. I mean, I have two kids under four I'm busy. And do I post every day? Honestly, I can't. If I post three to four times a week, it's a good week for me. But the content that I do put out, I don't try to willy nilly it because what I've seen that works is with something like mine, graphics tend to work a lot better when I visually can represent the information I'm trying to get across. Those tend to do a lot better. Well, graphics take a lot of time. So sometimes it could be two hours that I'd work on a single graphic, but I'd post that and it will pay me dividends for a couple of days at a time. So it's almost like I let it breathe. It helps me build some time until I come up with the next idea that I can visually represent as best as I can. Uh, those always tend to do really well and provide people with a lot of value. So that's kind of how I focus my time. I don't try to stick to a number of times per week and stress myself out. It's kind of like when I'm able to, I have a conversation. I'm like, this is going to be a great topic that other people can benefit from that I'm going to do it. So. That's how I think about content as well. I try not to, you know, overdo it and have the strict schedule that I can't stick to. <laughs> so I also find like those schedules and folks who do that, no shade, but if it's so strict, eventually the content is going to become mediocre and it becomes more of, I need to fill this, you know, calendar <laughs> versus I have something to say. Yes, exactly. You see a lot of that you know, it can, can, can be on there. So I'm with you. And then I also, I like, and for those listening, there's something with LinkedIn that I really like just from a technical side of it is the algorithm. Your content has way, a way longer uh, lifespan. 
So people can see stuff that's a week, two weeks old. So if you're thinking like, I don't have time to post, I tell people, I'm like, post once a week, post twice a month. And that content will, if it's good, continue to be seen. Where other platforms such as, you know, X, that you're looking at a 24 hour window before that's yep. up in smoke. So working on a graphic for, you know, X Twitter might not have that same return, doesn't, I don't believe, as LinkedIn. So that's something that's uh, definitely to be considered, you know, for anyone who's thinking about posting. Now, posting is one part. Commenting is another part. It's huge. Engaging mm-hmm. DMs, commenting. How are you managing the, you know, the relationship building side of LinkedIn without becoming a person who's like, yeah, awesome. High five. Good job. You know, on content. How do you make sure that you can keep it, you know, real and really actually build those relationships? I'm an extrovert by nature and building relationships actually comes quite easy to me because I walk in with zero agenda. I'm not like this person's the head of marketing at this company. So I'm going to just really kiss ass and, (laughs) and hopefully they'll hire me. It's not about that. I give away a lot of value for free, whether it's publicly or even in the DMs. So if they have a burning problem, they're going to ask me, I'm not going to be like, yeah, sign up for my $250 power hour and I'll tell you. I am just like, what's your question? Does it take me two minutes? Yeah, I'm just going to tell you because I just want to evangelize a better way to do marketing because B2B marketing in essence sucks. And, you know, we're still operating from these 1997 playbooks. I've worked at companies that did that. I see it all the time and I'm just kind of tired of it. And, you know, what's the saying? Be the change you want to see in the world. So for me, that's just evangelizing a better way. It just makes you a better human as well. And so for me, the commenting strategy is I try to cap myself because you could spend all day on LinkedIn. And so in the mornings, you know, I give myself an hour to engage with a lot of the folks who I should support to or who are kind of in my marketing niche. And so this could be other creators. This could be people at companies, thought leaders and that kind of stuff. I don't spend a lot of time scrolling. I feel like that's a black hole you can get into. I have a lot of connections now who I'm not, you know, on like a necessarily a first name basis with just because I've been doing it for a while. And so I think that can become a situation where you could spend two or three hours just scrolling and commenting on stuff. So I'm very intentional with who I interact with. And every once in a while, if someone shows up on the top of my feed, I'll comment on that. But most of the time I have a set list of people that I interact with because I trust that their content's going to deliver a lot of value. I'm going to learn something every day. And those are the people that I show up for. I absorb their content more like my daily reading and just think about interesting ideas to apply to my business. So that's kind of how I focus there. And then the other pieces, I I try to have a lot of fun. Uh, my posts are pretty serious and very showcasey of knowledge and expertise, but I call it like the LinkedIn mullet where I'm very business with my posts and I'm party with my, you know, with my comments. And so I love to troll people. And sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't always have something valuable to say, but I'll make a joke and, and then it's a hit and it gets a conversation going. And that's kind of my... <laughs> My strategy to just like have fun. We're all people on there. We don't have to be these like professional robots, you know, show a little personality. People will notice. Shows you're a real person, especially with the amount of people using like AI commenting and like, yeah, it's it's out of hand. The AI commenting and, you know, hiring a VA to do your comment. It's all out of hand. It's off the deep end um, for sure. So that's, that's awesome. I really like putting the time the, you know, finding yourself with time to say, I have an hour to do this and just seeing, you know, how that can help the business, right? It, it really does separate you from other people in a way that it just keeps you top of mind when people eventually have that problem. 
There's also another thing with LinkedIn that I think doesn't get discussed enough amongst creators is context of seeing the content. So the user opens up LinkedIn because they're thinking about their career or their business from like they clicked on that little LI versus the TikTok or Instagram because they're they're thinking in a different want, different need. They're in a different mindset. You know, I used to create for Instagram and do all these things. It's so much time to create a video for Instagram. And I realized it's like all my friends seeing it. Right. So it was like, oh, I need to separate what my fun social is from my work social. Mm -hmm. And now my Instagram is like photos of my dog. Do you post on other platforms um, or use other platforms? I do not. I barely have time for LinkedIn. But my second consideration, I was talking to uh, Lachey Lewis. You should definitely have her on the show as well. But I was talking to her about it. And we both talked about potentially doing even just like eight to 10 videos on YouTube. They're everlasting. They're optimized for SEO. People will search for stuff on there and just showcasing our frameworks and stuff for free there. So people actually have a reference point and just letting that kind of sit. So if I were to adopt a second platform, I'd go that route before I went another social media platform. So it's just a matter of finding the time to do it and making sure that I have something that's lifelong on there. Because one of the things is that I am pretty early stage, right? Six months in. And so my frameworks have adapted a lot. And I just don't want it to be a situation where going back and updating it constantly on a platform as well. I can almost test the concepts on LinkedIn a lot faster and get that feedback loop going and then have YouTube handle more of the foundational elements that I want to be kind of evergreen. But I'm still just kind of refining what those are right now. Yeah, I like that. If you're going to do things like video, thinking in terms of permanency, where can you create mm -hmm. something that this video, this video we're doing right now is going to go on LinkedIn or sorry, on YouTube. It'll be there forever, you know, and people can search your name, my name, see it. And I'm a big fan of that from the video standpoint, but creating fleeting video that is very, uh, the juice doesn't, juice doesn't equal the squeeze for me when it comes to yeah. that. So I'm with you. Cool. Now, before I let you go, any advice you'd give to somebody who's, you know, starting out on LinkedIn or creating content on what they should do, where they should start. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my husband's actually trying to start growing on LinkedIn and he's realizing the pains that I, I went through when I first started nine months ago and realizing that it's not as easy. And so one of the things is it's easy for the lurkers and the people who aren't posting to point fingers and say it's cringy and do all of those things. But in my opinion, posting content and posting your expertise out there is an act of bravery because it is scary to put yourself out there. You're opening yourself up to heavy scrutiny, validation too, but heavy scrutiny, but you're leaving a legacy behind, right? Because now I have years worth of content that I've written. I mean, if you think about nine months at three to four times a week, I have stuff that I didn't even know I knew about that I posted and the amount that I've learned in that time, just clarity of thought. Like you can ask me about landing pages today. Or you can ask me about a compelling CTA or ads distribution. And I've already thought about these things because I've posted them. So you can articulate your thoughts a lot better. And it is a difficult thing to do and keep doing. It's like, how do you come up with ideas every single week? But it does take a lot of practice. And ironically, it gets easier over time to keep putting yourself out there and you learn what works, you learn what doesn't work and you keep putting it out there. I think the biggest thing before you even start though, is to figure out what is your goal? My goal was never to start a business, but once I started a business, I knew that I needed to be a lot more focused with my content 
in order to drive more inbound, drive more conversations that had meaningful financial impact. I mean, no one's doing this for nonprofit here. You know, we all are in for-profit businesses, but that's when the stuff changed. So I would say if you're focusing on helping build your business, pick three content pillars that you want to talk about and stick to those three. People need to know what to expect from you rather than one day you're posting about your dog. The next day you're talking about a reporting dashboard. And then the next day you're talking about events. I mean, like they're all discombobulated. They're not going to understand what you're offering. So be very, very clear about that. And then secondly, if you are on your own and working through stuff, always niche down. That's It was so uncomfortable for me to do so, but there really is riches and niches. So I would definitely try to do something around that. But if you're posting just for fun, there's tons of CMOs, there's tons of uh, CEOs, heads of marketing who are posting and they're in-house. They don't want to necessarily advise other companies. But what it does, it gives you options. Because now when that announcement post comes at some point where you're saying, hey, I'm moving on to my next opportunity, you're going to have so much brand equity that people come to you. You're not going to be competing with a thousand of your best friends for the next application for the next head of marketing. It's going to give you options. So cringe or no cringe. In the beginning, all my friends were like, oh, it's so cringy. And now they're like, oh, you're a LinkedIn powerhouse. You're on all these pods and you're posting. I love your content. So that mindset changes. So you just want to drown out the noise and just know what your goals are and focus on doing that because there's no downside to building any brand equity. And I have never met a person who's had success online call another person creating content cringe. It's always someone who's never done anything. So that's my thing. Nobody punches down. So I'm like, oh, okay. Anytime I felt that way, it's always been, I'm like, oh, it's somebody who's never posted is being like, commenting on my video with some hate and they're really just projecting some shit versus handling their own. So I'm with you there and people who want to get started. Yeah. I think that's a great framework you've set up there. If people want to connect with you on LinkedIn or your website, where's best? LinkedIn is best. Even though I have my company, the name's Delphinium Solutions, but even though I have my company, I am the company. You know, I'm a hu- I'm the human behind the brand. So come connect with me on LinkedIn. I love talking to people. Send me a message. Tell me that you uh, heard us on the podcast. That would be so meaningful to me. And if you do want to visit my website and see more about what I what I do, it's DelphiniumSolutions.com. Also linkable from my LinkedIn profile. So you can just kind of go there and do some exploring and let me know if, uh, you know, you see any content that you like or have any questions, I'm happy to answer. Amazing. And I'll put a link to both those in the show notes page. Tass, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.